Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Avinu, Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you for your uh, presence and your goodness this morning. We pray that your word would encourage us as your community, Lord, this morning. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So we have had three rabbis serve here at Tikvat Israel. First, the founding rabbi was Rabbi Jamie Cowan. Then we had Rabbi David Rudolph, and then myself. And I'd like to share a little bit of Rabbi David Rudolph's final sermon here eight years ago. For those of you who are here, that's, uh, do you remember that? Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, it's a long time ago. In way back in 2015. So this sermon is called A Life of Faith. This is the last idea that Rabbi David Rudolph wanted to impart to our synagogue. Quote, do you know the story of how our congregation acquired this beautiful building which we are in, which used to be an Orthodox synagogue? It is a testimony of faith. This is what the historical records of Tikvot state about a meeting that was called in the early days of Tikvot. And here, Rabbi David quotes uh, from that meeting. Most late, one of the pillars of the congregation shared a vision he had years before. In the vision, he saw this synagogue vacant and lifeless. Suddenly, the large stained glass stars of David that you see back there facing the streets began to glow. People who had been walking past stopped and began to pour into the old building. And just as suddenly, the building began to pulsate with life. The story silenced all of us, and we knew God was calling us to move into the old synagogue. And here, Rabbi David continues in his own voice. God dropped into Moslate's heart and others that day a vision for acquiring this building. In the natural, it was impossible. It was meshuga, or crazy in Yiddish. The building was too expensive for such a small congregation, and the owner of the property didn't want to sell to Messianic Jews. But our God makes the impossible possible. And here we are today, praying and worshiping in this beautiful synagogue. We are called to live the life of faith, to walk by faith and not by sight, as Noah did. When we do this, even the mountains can be removed and thrown into the sea. Orthodox synagogues can become messianic synagogues. Has God dropped into your heart a vision for something that he wants to do through you? If so, hold on to that vision. Don't let go of it. Be like Noah who believed God and then did something about it little by little, over the course of time, until that ark was built. If you are a member of Tikvot, then the Lord has already dropped into your heart a vision for your building up of the Messianic Jewish community and for Tikvot Israel. I encourage you to allow the Lord to fill your heart with vision for how he wants our movement and this synagogue to grow. And then, like Noah, begin exercising your faith to see that vision come about plank by plank in the years to come. Unquote. That was Rabbi David's final sermon here, right here where I'm standing. God laid it on his heart 
to encourage us to remember the original vision of the synagogue and to remember the miraculous way that we acquired this building. Do you realize how rare it is for a messianic synagogue to meet in a historic synagogue? I believe there is one other congregation on earth where this is true. All of the others meet in their own building or they rent from a church uh, or you know wherever they can. And there's nothing wrong with that, but God has given us this historic building to worship him. A building which proclaims in its very bones that you can be Jewish and follow Yeshua and that there's no contradiction in that. That in fact, it's the most Jewish thing you can do. God has been faithful to our community and the final sermon of our last rabbi was to remember that and to trust God for the next chapter because of God's faithfulness. And this brings me to another last sermon. No, not mine. Don't worry, I'm not, <laughs> not going anywhere. But uh, the last sermon of our teacher, Moshe, also known as Moses. Deuteronomy as a whole, the entire book, can be thought of as Moshe's last sermon. He's not going with them into the land of Israel. So he's telling them the most important things. The book of Deuteronomy is what he wants the Israelites to know so they can flourish in the land. It's actually quite beautiful and selfless because he will not share in that joy. I mentioned this last week, but the name Deuteronomy in Greek breaks down to deutero, second, and nomos, which is Torah or law. It's the Torah again. And why is it named that? Because uh, a lot of the laws are repeated from, from Exodus. But really, it's a reframing of the law for this moment in Israel's history. It's a season of transition. Where are they transitioning to? The promised land. Exactly. That's where they're going. So he's repeating the Torah in a new way for a new generation so they will understand what they need to know to go through that transition to get out of the desert and into the land of milk and honey. He doesn't want them to be a sheep without a shepherd. So what is their shepherd? He can't go with them. The Torah. The Torah is their shepherd because they'll always have that. We still have the Torah, right? It's right there. <laughs> this is the Torah that Moses gave us. Moses is gone to be with the Lord, but we have his word. We have the word of the Lord still. Isaiah 48, 40 verse eight says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Moshe is going to die outside the land, but he can send his last sermon with them, Deuteronomy, so that they will be fruitful, Bezrat Hashem, with God's help. So what is the substance of this message? If you could boil it down to one word. I had one word for Eric, and that was Sukkot. So what if we would boil down this Deuteronomy thing to one word? I think a good word would be remember. Here are some excerpts from, from this week's Parsha. Suppose you say in your heart, these nations are more numerous than I. How can I drive them out? You are not to be afraid of them. 
You are to be sure to remember what Adonai your God did to Pharaoh and to Egypt, the great trials that your own eyes saw, the signs and wonders, and the mighty hand and outstretched arm by which Adonai your God brought you out. So will Adonai your God do to all the peoples you fear. Moshe is reassuring them. How can you be sure that God will take care of you in the future? How do you know? Well, you remember what he did in the past. He took you out of Egypt dramatically. He dealt with the evil Pharaoh. He rescued you when you were at your lowest point. It says the Israelites just cried out. They didn't cry out to the Lord. They just cried out. And that's where the Lord met them. That's the God that we serve. And he will continue to do so when I, Moses, am not with you in this new land. The problem comes with comparison. These other nations are bigger. I'm weaker. I'm smaller. Uh, right? This is the beginning of the, the Jewish, uh, the nebish, right? Uh, anyway. <laughs> that is precisely why God chose Israel in their weakness to show his rescuing power. This is explicitly stated just before this week's Parsha, a few verses earlier in Deuteronomy 7 also. It is not because you are more numerous than all the peoples that Adonai set his love on you and chose you, for you are the least of all peoples. Well, thanks. That makes me feel good, right? <laughs> Rather, because of his love for you and keeping the oath he swore to your fathers, Adonai brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Sometimes when people say the Jewish people are chosen, I think they mean special. But God's choosing Israel is not about them, but it's about God's faithfulness. It's his sovereign choice, right? And that, of course, that chosenness is expanded in the new covenant to include the nations in Messiah. But... Even there, it's not because the, the, the nations in Messiah are so great, right? It's because of God's love. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1. And it's very similar to this passage in, in Deuteronomy, I think. For you see your calling, brothers and sisters, that not many of you are wise according to human standards. Well, thanks. Not many are powerful. Not many are born well. Yet God chose the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world so that he might put to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that are nothing, so that he might bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human might boast before God because of him. You are in Messiah Yeshua, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, boast in Adonai. In our own thoughts, we sometimes think, well, I'm not enough. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not qualified. I'm not the right person, right, for this assignment. Uh, once uh, earlier in my uh, leadership, I was driving to meet with a Jewish man, and I just had a thought to myself. I thought about how Rabbi Jamie Cowan, our founding rabbi, would be a better person to meet with him, because he had just the right life experience, and uh, he could, I knew he could connect with this guy. And, uh, and then I, I was driving in my car to meet him, and I heard the Lord encouraging me, and he said, 
but I asked you to do it. You're the one I have called to meet with this man to encourage him. I didn't ask Rabbi Jamie. He's in Israel. He's doing something else that I asked him to do. This is what I asked you to do, David. And I remembered all the other times that the Lord gave me the right words to say to folks and confirmed my calling as a congregational leader and as a rabbi. And I was strengthened in his strength. Thinking about our own flaws, you know, to disqualify us, it's not fruitful. Israel was not qualified. She was chosen. We are not qualified. We're chosen. We're called by God. God asked us to do something. But there's nothing, there's no righteousness, there's no greatness in us. That's not why he did it. He asked us precisely because we couldn't without him. But with him, we can. To show that he's God, to show what he can do, that he's a rescuer. Sometimes we think about our own lack of qualifications when we're about to transition into the promised land. But that's not the way forward. The way forward is to remember backwards what the Lord has done. If we have accepted Yeshua in our hearts, we have at least one story, and I'm sure many more, but at least one of how God rescued us even when we were not pursuing God, even when we were proud and self-righteous and doing our own thing. So let's remember those stories of God's consistency from our past. And this brings us to another remembering that God is asking us to do before we transition into the promised land. This is another remembering from our teacher, Moshe. Take care that you do not forget, another word for remember, (laughs) Adonai your God, by not keeping his mitzvot, that's commandments, ordinances and statutes that I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and silver and gold multiplies for you and all that is yours multiplies, then your heart will be haughty and you will forget Adonai your God. Imagine, imagine that. He brought you out from the land of Egypt From the house of slavery, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness, fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought forth water for you from a flinty rock. He made water come out of a rock for you so you wouldn't die of thirst. Remember that? (laughs) You didn't do that. God did that for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know in order to afflict you and test you to do you good in the end. You might say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has made me this wealth. Rather, you are to remember Adonai your God, for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth in order to establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. This is a similar encouragement to what Moshe is saying earlier, but he adds another dimension. Don't be proud and think that you did that because of your own strength. Therefore, remember the faithfulness of the Lord and remember his commandments and be humble. (laughs) I've told this story before, but this took place when I was teaching in in Mississippi about uh, 
16 or 17 years ago. And I went to a church down there, and uh, at the church I was on the worship team. And our worship team would travel with the congregation from time to time to other churches to do a, a service. So we'd all pack into the bus. Now this church was a praying church, and I was not used to that. Because <laughs> I grew up in Reformed Judaism. <laughs> And so, uh, and I was kind of a new follower of Yeshua at that time, a little baby. So when we got on that bus, someone would spend at least 10 minutes before we left praying for something called traveling mercy, which I did not know what that was. I was relatively new to the idea of prayer, and I remember thinking once in my heart, what are these people doing? I've been traveling my whole life in all kinds of vehicles, never prayed for a traveling mercy, even once, and I'm still here. What's the big deal? Let's get this bus moving. I wanna play some worship music, right? Well, <laughs> later that week, I was on the road with my good friend and fellow teacher, Katie. Katie is a, a follower of Yeshua as well. And uh, I'm driving down the road in the flattest countryside you've ever seen. Suddenly, it starts to rain. We keep going. Then it rains a little harder, and a little harder, and we keep going. Eventually, the visibility is so poor that we're moving very slow, but we're still, you know, plugging along. Then quite suddenly, some kind of dark animal, like a, like a wolf or a large dog, darted right in front of my car. It was not a creature that I recognized. Uh, we didn't hit it, miraculously, and it disappeared into the woods as fast as it came. And Katie and I turned to each other, and I said out loud what I think we both were thinking, I think we need to pray for traveling mercy. <laughs> so I pulled the car over, and we prayed together, and there on the side of the road, on a Mississippi highway, a proud 22-year-old kid bowed his head and acknowledged the God who kept him, who kept him when he was in a car accident right there at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, right out front. I was in a car accident in high, in high school. God saved me. God preserved my life. Baruch Hashem. Until that moment, I never, I never thanked him. You know, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm still here, right? He's so merciful. He preserved me until the time when I could say it. God was communicating to me that day his protection, his love, his provision, so that I wouldn't be proud, so that I would acknowledge that he's the one who brought me through and not my own strength. The Lord has enabled all of us to get out of bed and be here right now. No question. So Moses is communicating these encouragements because Israel is about to transition without him from the desert to the land of milk and honey. This is Moses' last sermon. And there's other kind of beautiful examples of, of a last sermon. We remember Jacob gives a final blessing uh, and encouragement to his 12 sons. And uh, we remember King David did something similar before he died to the people and to Solomon. And uh, I thought I would share that because there's a lot of parallels to, to Moses. Then King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. As for me, it was in my heart 
to build a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai and for the footstool of our God. So I made preparations for the building. But God said to me, you will not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet Adonai, the God of Israel, has chosen me out of all my ancestral house to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as a ruler and of the house of Judah, my father's house and of my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. Moreover, all of my sons, for Adonai has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of Adonai over Israel. So notice a few things there, right? What is he saying? I wanted to build a house for the Lord for his presence, but I'm not gonna get to do that. But my son is. Does he sound wearisome about that? No, he's excited, just like Moses. He's not gonna get to go in the promised land, but he's excited for them. He's not bitter. So selfless, so beautiful. And uh, he talks about the chosenness, right? He was the least, the least out of his, his father's sons. Remember when, when Samuel went to the house? He wasn't even invited. It's not that, like, <laughs> it's not that uh, he was the last choice. He was the not thought of choice. These are all your sons? Yeah, these are all of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is one way out in the field with the smelly sheep. That's the one. It's talking about God's choosing us. Choosing us. David was unqualified. Look how well he did, for the most part, <laughs> right? He's human. We're also unqualified, but that, it's not about that. It's about God's choice. He said to me, Solomon, your son will build my house and my courts, for I've chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he resolutely observes my mitzvot, commandments, and my ordinances as at this day. What does that remind us of? Moses saying, remember the commandments, remember the Lord, right? He's saying the same thing to Solomon. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of Adonai, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek all the commandments of Adonai, your God, so that you may possess this good land and may bequeath it to your children after you forever. Sounds just like Deuteronomy, except here it's Jerusalem. It's the center the center of the good land. Now you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For Adonai searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, Adonai has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, chazak, and do it. Right? So encouraging. Just as Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land with the people, here King David, again, doesn't get to build the temple, the connection point between heaven and earth. Rather, his son, Solomon, will build it. But David is not dismayed by this. He is honored, for he sees the faithfulness of God to the next generation. David is honored because he sees the faithfulness of God to the next generation. Moses is honored even though he doesn't get to go in because he sees the faithfulness of God to the next generation. And he's sending his Torah, God's Torah, with them to help them, God's instructions. Remember the commandments. Remember what God has done. Remember to seek the Lord only. God has chosen Solomon to build the temple. That is his calling from God. It's not because of his amazing qualifications. Remember at this point, he was not wise. He wasn't, he wasn't anything special, right? At this point, he has not received all the wisdom. 
But how does he get that wisdom? He follows David's advice. He follows his father's advice. What does he do? He humbles himself. He says, God, I need help. I'm not qualified to rule over these people. I need a listening heart. Because he knows he's not qualified, that's what makes him qualified. <laughs> it's weird, <laughs> but that's, that's how it is. That's how it is with us. And yes, later on, he forgets. He forgets what the Lord did for him. He forgets that the Lord brought him to this position. And he goes after other gods. And he builds up his own kingdom in pride. But the Israelites did the same thing. Right? Once they got into the land, Moses said, don't be proud. Remember the Lord got you there. What did they do? They went after other gods and they were proud and they were like, right? And then they cried out to the Lord. Read the whole book of Judges. It's like a cycle, (laughs) right? (laughs) Of, uh, oh, we're in trouble. The Canaanites are bothering us. The Lord sends a charismatic deliverer to help them like Samson or Gideon. And then they're good. And they're like, oh, we're saved. Yay, we did this all ourselves. And then they're (laughs) humbled again, you know? But that's how it is with us too, right? They went after other gods and became proud, but they always had, as an anchor, Moses' words to come back to. Turn back to God, humble yourselves, and remember what the Lord has done for you. Recently, Sonia and I had some friends over, a young woman that she had met uh, and befriended about 15 years ago, and they happened to be in Richmond. Now she's, she's married. And uh, we sat at our table, and Sonia recounted to them some things that God had done for us. You know, And I, I knew all these stories, but after each little one, I was encouraged. I was like, oh yeah, God did do that for us. I didn't have it in the forefront of my mind that God, uh, for example, gave us a a dining room table. It's a whole story, but um, basically uh, we needed a table for Rosh Hashanah and Sonia's family was coming in and we had to send it back because there was a crack in it. And eventually the Lord enabled us to, to just have it. Just have it. Um, And I tried to pay for it like three times. (laughs) And the final time, I called the credit card company and they were like, you know what? If If there's no charge, enjoy it. And it was just a sign of God's faithfulness. He didn't have to do that for us, but reminding us he's taking care of us. He's giving us a table so we can fellowship and have hospitality and have people over to be a blessing. And he's gonna take care of us and qualify us to do his calling, what he's called us to do. And that's just one thing. And Sonia was, was saying thing after thing, and the Lord did this. And you know, like, you know, because when you have a, a, a child, they need some things, right? But the Lord, you know, provided all of those things, mostly through the generosity of his people. And at the end of the lunch, I was just filled with thankfulness and, and awe at God's provision because I knew all these stories, but Sonia was reminding me, you know, she was reminding me of God's faithfulness. So may the Lord give you an opportunity like that soon to encourage someone else like my wife did with a story of what God has done. It could be simple. This morning, I was kind of thinking about, well, you know, what, what pants should I wear? <laughs> and I just felt a little nudge little tiny nudge to wear wear particular pants, which were these. And uh, I reached into the pocket, and in the pocket was a key. It was a key to my office. 
<laughs> because I had taken it off last week and separated because we were, Sony and I, anyway, it's too complicated. But if I didn't wear these pants, I wouldn't have had a key to my office and I wouldn't have my tallit, I wouldn't have my fancy shoes, and uh, you know, I'd just be, <laughs> wouldn't be prepared. So yeah, it's, you could see it as a coincidence, but the Lord is sovereign. He can use things like that to help us. Just little nudges like, hey, I'm, I'm still here. I still care about you. <laughs> Maybe something like that happened to you this week. And, you know, tell somebody. Tell somebody, hey, this is what God did for me. Could be encouraging to you and the other person. I want to encourage all of us to remember what the Lord has done for us in the wilderness so that when we transition into the promised land, we will prosper and not only prosper, but give glory to the Lord. I'd like to close with a song. This was written by someone with the last name Wine, but it's not me, and it's not my son. He does write songs, but I can't tell what they say. So this was uh, written by my wife, Sonia. vast creation your glorious throne and the works of your hand remind me Lord of your holy peace remind me Lord of the rock where I stand remind me Lord of your atonement once for all you Bring us back to you. Shiveinu Adon. 
of the joy I felt when I trusted you with childlike faith. Remind me, Lord, of your strength and might. Remind me, Lord, of your redemptive grace. Remind me of your gentle guidance. I surrender all my plans to you. worship you, Lord. We, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and uh, remind us, Lord, of all the good things you've done, especially when we're comparing ourselves or, or, or turning inward. Help us turn upward and uh, help us to remember even the small things, even the, the tiny things that you've done for us and the big things, Lord. You brought us here, Lord. You sustained us. You enabled us to get out of bed this morning. You enabled us to, to hear uh, the worship music and to, to, to come into your house and to worship you, Lord. And for all those things and more, we thank you, Lord, because you chose us. You chose us and you called us, not because we could, but because we needed you in order to be able to do it. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.